are listening to First Church Charlotte. All right, I am preaching from this subject. This this mic has given us feedback. That's a low frequency. Uh, I'm preaching from this subject: losing losing your taste, losing your taste. You're all looking at me like, holy moly, what could you do with that? Um, well, let's see. Uh, I don't know. I apologize for the sound system today. Uh, we are having drama, and it is as if it's not enough distractions. Uh, we fight with this, and I want you to know however awkward it is for you, it's more awkward for the people in the sound booth, and they struggle to get anything out of church when the sound isn't right. So I want to say thank you to all the people in production who work so hard to make make this possible. If it was simple to make it all work, including the stream, if it was simple, trust me, everybody would have, you know, great production. It's very, very hard. All right. Losing your taste. One of the symptoms of COVID-19 is that you lose uh, your taste. Um, That's somewhat strange. It's not very unique um, in itself. There are a fair number of of illnesses that cause someone to lose their taste. One of the most common reasons why people lose their taste is because they're being treated for cancer. I know that comes as a surprise, but chemotherapy will make you lose uh, your taste. Uh, Radiation treatments can make you lose your lose your taste. Um, Back in 2000, I did six months of chemotherapy. Uh, I'm a cancer survivor. Thankful for that. You guys have heard that before. I did six months of chemotherapy and I lost my taste. I didn't lose it immediately, but I would say about two months in, my taste was very much diminished. Now, I didn't stop eating because that would be to admit defeat. (laughs) I kept eating, but I I lost my taste. Um, the, The last food that I could taste was Mexican food. Thank you, God. (laughs) Honestly, the last food I could taste was Mexican food. So don't, my mother's not here today and hopefully she's not watching this online, but uh, I remember her cooking and cooking a delicious meal and me being polite and not being able to taste anything. And then I would get in my truck and I would drive down the road to a Taco Bell that was a few miles down the road and I would get a burrito and cover it with hot sauce because I could actually taste uh, that. Um, During this COVID season, if you've had any symptoms, it might be that you've ran to the kitchen and tasted food to see if you had uh, lost your faith, your, not your faith, holy moly, lost your taste. Um, There's other reasons why you lost your faith. I, uh, I at least twice have gone to the kitchen because I had some other symptoms um, that I was worried about. It's been a really bad allergy year, and I tasted food. Now, I'll tell you a true confession. Um, I, I never tasted uh, bad food to see if I lost my... I always tasted good food. Uh, my tasting food of, to- of choice is chocolate. And so I would go get a piece of chocolate to make sure that I could still taste. And then having eaten it, I would ask myself, was I sure? And <laughs> and I wasn't sure, so I'd get a second piece of chocolate just to make sure because it wasn't, you know, breaking the diet. It was medical research. 
And for the good of us all, I would eat another piece of chocolate to make sure I still had my taste. And you know, after a half dozen pieces, I was pretty sure that that wasn't a symptom. We don't talk a lot about taste, but we do talk a lot about food. Now, the past week, you have probably eaten enough where you feel mildly guilty about what you have done with yourself and the mess that you have made of yourself. I hope you had a wonderful holidays. I hope you ate pretty much everything that you were in the mood to eat. Uh, It would be terrible to lose your taste, wouldn't it? Uh, wouldn't it be terrible to uh, have your 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 the ability to enjoy good food taken taken from you? Um, the Bible uses our senses to teach us things that are of a spiritual nature. I don't want to rush past that. I want you to think about it because this idea will be in the Scripture a lot. And the point of teaching this way or writing this way or giving us scripture of this manner. The point is for us to have understanding. Uh, if you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, he actually spoke that nor- in such a way and taught in such a way that regular people would understand. He didn't seem to care about being a great uh, orator. Jesus doesn't seem to care about whether or not you think when he's finished that that was powerful. Uh, he doesn't seem to teach in a way that when he's done, you think to yourself, my goodness, what a great preacher. Get this man a television show. Uh, that's not how he seems to communicate. He seems very much to care about you understanding something about the kingdom of God and taking that knowledge and applying it into your own heart and into your own life. Now, as a preacher, I've gone through all the stages. Uh, for years, I wanted so much to be a great quote-unquote preacher. Uh, For years, I wanted to deliver not a word, but the word. I wanted to give the final word. And if anybody ever fell up on me and said, I've never heard it like that before, I just knew that they finally had obeyed the Spirit. I've gone through all of that. Uh, I am at a stage of ministry now, not that I'm better by any means, but uh, that I, I feel like perhaps I'm a little bit more ministerially mature. I want very much to feel like I have truly helped somebody, not entertain them, but I've given them insight to the kingdom of heaven that they can apply to their own life. It's not about how I can brag about the service. It's about whether or not you can take spiritual understanding into your world and make your life a celebration of the kingdom of God. When you look at the scripture, you see this kind of teaching a lot, and uh, we see taste used even as a spiritual type of insight. Uh, Psalms 34 and verse number 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalms 119, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Or uh, Ecclesiastes chapter number 9, verse number 7, go. Oh, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you uh, do. This is scripture after scripture. There's more that I could reference here. Uh, let me just take you to the teachings of Jesus in Luke chapter number 12. Uh, this is verse 19. I'm reading from the ESV version. 
I will say to my soul, this is the rich man and his self-talk. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What kind of wealth are we pursuing? I want to be rich toward God, amen? Uh, Not rich toward God. And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. There is insight into the kingdom of God, and uh, we are... We find ourselves hungry for things. Um, I pray that we all of us have a hunger and a thirst toward the kingdom of heaven. And I pray the reason why all of you are here today is you have in your life a hunger and a thirst for the kingdom of heaven. Let me just take a moment here and pray over you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would awaken in every one of our hearts a hunger for the things of, of, of the kingdom of God, a hunger for you, Lord Jesus, not just a religious label, not just a religious habit, but awaken within everyone here a hunger for the things of God. Awaken in our young people, Lord Jesus, a hunger for the things of God. Awaken in our children a hunger for the things of God. And can the church say amen? Amen. And so, uh, spiritually speaking, we are are not made to live by our lusts. Uh, Our lusts represent the distortion of how God made us. I I should explain this. Uh, If we're going to use taste and hunger as a teaching example for what does it mean to be spiritual people, then we're going to have to think about what what are we hungry for? What tastes good to us? And the truth is, in our flesh, a lot of times what we pursue is sin. I I don't mean to be depressing. I don't mean to uh, rain on your parade. Uh, But what can seem appealing to you and what can seem appealing to me is basically, let's just be honest, sin in some version. Um, This taste in our flesh is to pursue the things of the flesh. The Bible does not deny this. The Bible does not deny that there is pleasure in sin. Uh, The Bible denies that there is fulfillment in sin, not pleasure. There's pleasure in sin, but there's not fulfillment in sin. Do you see? Uh, There is pleasure in pursuing your lusts, but there's not joy in pursuing your lusts. And yet within us, let's be honest, we have a taste for sin. Uh, Let's use this spiritually. In the same manner that what tastes good to me is often unhealthy for me. I know you're getting discouraged now. In the same manner, what feels good in my flesh is not what is feeding my soul. And I am more than flesh. I am soul and spirit. Uh, This problem of food is very instructive to us. Some people have four food groups, not the four major groups, but they have four food groups. Here's my four, fast, frozen, instant, and chocolate. Uh, 
those are my four uh, food groups. Um, also, I have some insight for you on uh, how to eat healthy. Uh, Japanese people eat very little fat, and they have fewer heartache, uh, not heartaches, they have plenty of heartaches, uh, fewer heart attacks than uh, English-speaking people, uh, Brit- British people, or American people. On the other hand, the French eat much more fat than English-speaking people, and they also have fewer heart attacks than British or American people. Furthermore, Japanese people drink very little red wine, and they have fewer heart attacks than uh, English-speaking people, like British or, or American people. Italians, on the other hand, bring, drink tremendous excessive amounts of red wine, and they also uh, suffer fewer heart attacks than English-speaking people. This is what I have learned from my study. Uh, Eat and drink whatever you like. It's speaking English that is killing you. I love that joke. Here's another little joke I love. Did you know statistically a man eats a prune every 20 seconds? A man eats a prune every 20 seconds. So, yeah, I don't know who this man is, but I'm pretty sure I know where to find him. Think about that. It gets funnier. Um, (laughs) Sin wars against who God intended us to be. Sin ultimately is spiritual rebellion. Sin is the projection of our way in spite of God's will for us. Now, this is shown to us in the Old Testament story of the Garden of Eden. In this story, all the truths of the human condition, all the insight into serving God or rebelling against God is shown to us in a story that we can carry with us. And it goes like this. Uh, Eve, is uh, she, she has this conversation with the, uh, trickiest, the trickiest animal in the garden. And this is imaged by the serpent. And the serpent tries to get her to question why God wants her not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, let me, let me show you this. God's made a perfect place. God's made a beautiful home. He has given man and woman dominion over that home. They define it by their speech and by their words. They name it. They classify it. It is their choice. It is for them. They live this out. There's only one thing they need to leave in the hands of God, and that is the definition of good and evil. Not what I think is good and evil, but what does God say is good and evil. This same temptation is lived out in our lives even today. Not what I think is good and evil, but what does God say is good and evil. This is the problem recurring in the human story. In the days of Noah, what were they doing? Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. They all were doing what they wanted to do. That wasn't the problem. What was the problem? They decided to judge for themselves what was good and evil rather than allowing God to define what is good and evil. The result of that is instead of them submitting themselves to God and letting God judge them, they elevated themselves in opposition to God and they lived as though they judged God. It didn't matter what God had said. It mattered what they thought. This is the curse of the modern world. People judge God. Well, I don't think about that. I don't know about this. I don't, but this is what I think. Okay, I'm glad you have a thought. What does the Bible say? This is this path of spiritual submission where we submit ourselves not to what we think is right or wrong, but to what God says is right or wrong. Can I have a big amen from church folks? 
All right, so Eve, she trespasses on this one area that God has reserved for himself, and that is the definition of what is right and wrong. And she thinks that the reason why God is reserving this unto himself is because God wants to keep her down. This is the seed planted by the serpent. He's trying to keep her uh, beneath him, and she could be as God is, and uh, this creates this temptation in her. And the problem, the reason why she falls into sin is not that she could not resist the fruit, but that she could not resist what the fruit would offer her. The problem was the motive. The problem was the motive. It's not that there's the fruit is good to eat and good to look upon. The garden is filled with fruit that is good to eat and good to look upon. It's that this allows her to elevate herself The problem is the motive, and so you know the story, and thus sin is introduced into the story. Sin. Sin changes us. Sin uh, refocuses us, and it is a universal problem. All have sinned, the author of the book of Romans said. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, we've spent the last month talking about the problems of the heart, We've talked about how to keep our hearts with all diligence. We've talked a lot about how um, this issue of our heart being right with God was more important than any type of an uh, image we would carry around or an act we would pretend to live out. Uh, You can't fool God. He knows our heart. We've talked a lot about that. And I, having done that, feel like that I am ready to remind you of something you've heard me say before, but I want to say it right now on this issue of sin, and that is this. The problem with sin is not so much the act, but the desire in your heart for it. You are in some way thinking that that sin will give you something that you desperately want. So let me say it this way. Behind every temptation is a lie. Between behind every temptation to sin is a lie. And spiritual maturity is not developing the self-discipline where we don't act on it even though we want to. Spiritual maturity is seeing through the lie. You see, everything that hell has deformed into sin had as its instigation something that God made it for your enjoyment and your completion. Everything that sin is, is a deformation of something God intended. Why uh, do people do drugs? Well, they have in some way discovered a transcendental experience by way of a chemical they take into their body. God always intended for you to have transcendental capabilities within you. You are more than body. You are soul and spirit. In fact, the Bible encourages it and says things like, in his presence there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The problem, however, is the pursuit of this experience, this, this 
this, this transcendental experience or this delusion that a drug gives you that you are whole. You are not broken. You are not meaningless. You take this drug and now you feel whole. Uh, this was always God's purpose for you to feel whole. It is a celebration of his creative ability in you to make you whole, not just in body, but in spirit. God's not trying to deny anyone a feeling of transcendental bliss. He's not trying to deny anyone a feeling of spiritual and emotional and psychological wholeness. No, he is all about these things. But sin comes along and says, you could just take it on your terms without consequences. The same thing with sex. We are living in a, a sexually obsessed society, and that's not new. It's been that way probably as long as the human story uh, goes. And people grow up a lot of times thinking that church folks uh, are somehow like the Puritan fun police um, and the devil invented sex. I want to take a moment in spite of the awkward subject, and I want to remind you that the devil did not invent sex. I could drop a pin and hear it in Rock Hill. I want to say it right now. Uh, it's a shame when uh, the enemy tries to co-opt God's creation as though it was his invention. It's not. Here's the problem, though. Uh, God meant it in such a way to fulfill and to finish you, not to break little pieces of you off and give them away in this meaningless transgression that you think will cost you nothing. You see, when God gives you something, it doesn't break you into pieces. It makes you whole. When hell misuses it, it breaks you into pieces and leaves you empty. And this is the story of sin. It's not the thing in itself. It is the distortion, the dysfunction, and the misuse of the thing that God created for something else. And so sin works in our lives, and we are destroyed by it. Let me read James chapter number four. Uh, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. God's not trying to keep anything from you. He's trying to give it to you in a wholesome way. Way. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. But here's a problem pleasure is all flesh and very little spirit. And the path of all flesh and very little spirit is to live a denial of the manner in which you are constructed. It is to pretend as though there's no difference in you and an animal of the field. And I know there's people who live that way. I'm here to tell you, to live that way is to pretend you are only one-third who you are, body, but you are more than body. You are soul and spirit. And when you take what God has ordained to make you whole, to make you right, to finish you and complete you and misuse it for the pleasures of self and flesh, it 
fails in the manner that sin fails. Here's the reason why. I'm going to give you uh, five reasons why sin fails. I know this is some good Bible teaching here today, and you're not saying amen very much because you're listening. Uh, that's all right. I just will go an extra 30 minutes and uh, pronounce myself pleased. <sighs> Number one, sin doesn't satisfy. I'm not saying it's not fun. It's quite fun. It just does not satisfy. There is no lasting to the nature of it. In fact, misusing what God has created means you have to have more and more in order to get less and less. Why? Because you're hacking it. You're not using it for what God meant it to be. You're hacking God's creation. Do you see? It does not satisfy. It instead pleases. It does not satisfy. The Bible is clear about this. It's not you trying. It's not the Bible trying to pretend like sin isn't fun. Sin is quite fun. It just breaks you. Choosing rather, Hebrews 11, verse number 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, talking about Moses, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin does not satisfy, number one. Number two, sin enslaves. You have to have more and more of it to get less and less enjoyment. Why? You're using it for something for which it was not intended. You need more and more to get less and less. Therefore, soon, instead, of that serving you, you are serving it. This is the problem with being addicted to things. Pretty soon, uh, shall we say very quickly, addiction means no longer are, does it serve you, whatever it is, drugs, alcohol, pornography, certain choices, certain habits. It's no longer serving you. You are serving it. And although you pursue more and more and more, you get less and less and less. Proverbs 5 and 22, the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him and the cords of his sin hold him fast. Number three, sin degrades you. God had a purpose when he made you. God had an intention when he designed you. You are a certain kind of uh, creation. And Satan rebelled against God, elevated himself, and he wants to include you in his rebellion. And this is the way he does it. Take what God intended for one thing and turn it to something else. And uh, it degrades you. Satan loves to mock the human race. He loves to see men and women, the very pinnacle of God's creation, tossing and turning in guilt, wallowing in shame, drowning in embarrassment. The devil loves to hum humiliate you. Jesus loves to bless you and help you become who you can become. Ecclesiastes 10, verse number one, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Uh, sin degrades you and hell wants to hurt God by what you turned out to be. This is the point of tempting Adam and Eve. Uh, I think no one expresses this better than uh, the poet Milton in his poem, Paradise Lost, 
when he tells a story, and this is actually one that's in, in my book, if any of you read my book, uh, I write it out because it's too complicated to just share like this. But uh, in this book, Milton, the poet, shows Satan looking at the garden, and he sees the stamp of God upon its perfection, and he sees the very mark of the holy upon his creation, and he looks at Adam and Eve, and he sees the very image of God, and he thinks to himself, I could love this place. I could love these people. But then he remembers that he has rejected the uh, one who created him, and he has distorted, and he has deformed what God created him to be into what he created himself to be, which was this, rather than worship to the creator, it is worship to the creation. And then to prove to God that his path is right and the necessary path of any created being, he goes to tempt Adam and Eve. That's all, in, that's all in, in, in Paradise Lost, the poem. Let me, let me move along. Sin degrades you. Number four, sin steals joy. I did not say pleasure. I said it steals joy. Pleasure is short term because it's, bla- it's based in physicality. It's, bla- it's based in your body. It's based in the temporal. So pleasure will always be short term in terms of your physicality, in terms of your biology, in terms of your body. It cannot satisfy because you are temporal. However, joy does not speak to the body. Joy speaks to the soul. The part of you that's everlasting. Sin destroys joy. And it is joy that is your spiritual strength. It is sin that separates you and breaks communion with God. Isaiah 51, excuse me, 59, verse number two. But your iniquities have separated between you and God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And finally, number five, sin taking you where somewhere uh, the sins the wages of sin are death death is more than biological death it is divine separation and so you see this in the scripture the wages of sin is death the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ galatians 6 verse 7 be not deceived god is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap for he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so in the Bible, we see the good news that there is, through Jesus Christ, a solution to the sin problem. There are two functions to this that I think are both important and I want you all to understand. My goal, again, is to give you some knowledge that when you leave this place, you can live out the kingdom of God in your life. Your world needs to see Jesus through you. Two things that are shown to us scripturally relative to the sin problem, and we answer them in the following way. Number one, we have forgiveness of sin. Somebody say forgiveness of sin. Is anyone thankful for forgiveness of sin? How many of you need forgiveness of sin? How many of you need forgiveness of sin for this past week? If you didn't raise your hand, God forgive you. Um, so I, I, want you to, I want you to see on one hand there is forgiveness of sin. And what's the other thing, the other terminology used in the scripture for sin? Remission of sin. Forgiveness, say it with me, forgiveness of sin. 
and remission of sin. These have similar origins, but they have different consequences. I want to show this to you. They both come from the same Greek word, aphesis, uh, which is root to both forgiveness and remission. Uh, but they have different consequences that, have, that are lived out. Uh, forgiveness refers to uh, emotion that one feels when you've hurt someone, when you have offended someone, when you've done someone wrong, and you go to them and they forgive you. They are letting go of the hurt, the pain, the emotion. This is how the word forgiveness is used uh, in the scripture. We have, we have wounded God with our choices. We have offended God by our choices. But what does he do? He forgives us of our sins. However, when we talk about remission, uh, remission refers to a release from a debt or a release from from a penalty or even a release from an obligation. So forgiveness refers to an inward feeling, yes, emotion, that removing of ought and anger that I have against someone, where the latter, uh, remission, refers to external consequences of debt and obligation. Uh, and, and so this why is this why is this important um, if you don't understand both of them you will fail to understand what God's trying to do in your life so very quickly I'm going to try to make this plain uh, and not complicated uh, forgiveness is um, that which we do after uh, we have committed a sin so uh, here is here is uh, an example. Let's say you commit a sin and uh, you feel bad about it. Now, at first, you don't feel bad about it. Why? Because it was fun. At first, you don't feel bad about it because in some cases, it was stinking fun. In some cases, it was ridiculous fun. It's later when you realize that you're carrying a broken soul that you realize uh, there's actually a little bit more going on there than just fun. You realize you sin and you say, God, forgive me. Of my sin. Here's the problem. If all you understand is forgiveness, it's very hard to get beyond shame. And so even though you repent, you feel embarrassed to go back to the house of God because you feel shame. Hell wants to keep you in guilt and in shame because then you are separated from the presence of God. God is doing more than forgiving you. He is also renewing you and transforming you. Remember what I said about the, uh, it's not just the sin that's the problem, it's the desire to do sin that's a problem. I don't know, maybe I said that in the 9 a.m. I want to be clear about this. It's not enough for us to be forgiven. We must be spiritually transformed to where we no longer want what this world offers to make us whole. We don't trust the solutions of the flesh. We don't trust the answers of the world. And we seek a better answer. We desire a better answer. And we say within ourselves, Lord, forgive me of my sins, but let my sins be remitted. I want forgiveness 
and remission of sins. Forgiveness and remission of sins. Let me give you some scripture here and then I'm going to uh, show you this a little bit more. This issue of remission is important even in Jewish life because every year is a Sabbath year unto the Lord. And you had to make a release of obligation and debt in the Sabbath year. Deuteronomy 15, verse number one, at the end of every seven years, this is King James Version, at the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release. Let me read it in the NIV. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Remission is much closer to the cancellation of a debt than saying, I forgive you for the bad decisions that got you into this debt. How are we in, how are our sins remitted? Uh, Let me read Matthew chapter number 26, verse number 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. Hebrews 9, verse number 22. And almost all things are are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Forgiveness, baptism, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is celebrate, it celebrates the remission of sins. Luke 24, verse number 47. And that repentance and remission of sins, repentance and remission of sins, should be preached his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And I have to read it, Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a, I'm a cancer survivor. I mentioned it with the taste issue. Um, every cancer survivor celebrates remission. What the cancer survivor wants is for the cancer to go into remi- to rem- remission. The problem with cancer is that it's a disease of your genome. So your body works something like this. I'm not an expert. Just roll with me. All right. Your DNA is um, the map, God's design, God's map. Uh, Yes, I say God's because I'm a believer. Um, And it's God's design. And that is basically kind of like a digital copy. Uh, Not digital, but but similar. There's information. And then it's picked up by RNA. And RNA then codes proteins. Now, proteins are real things. It is out of proteins that you get this flesh body that we have. And so what you have to do is you have to take the information and then you have to copy it and implement it. But if it misses a copy, if one of something doesn't code right, the created proteins do something other than what they intended to do, and that's what we call cancer. It is something that was intended for this, say, um, it's kidney cells, but because of a coding error, it stops being kidney cells, and now you have kidney cancer. Because you have cells that are taking over your kidneys that aren't 
doing kidney cell function. Uh, it's cells in your brain that once coded to neurons and coded to axions and the like, but now because they've missed their purpose. Do you see the imagery here right here? Because they no longer in the purpose they were designed for, they're coding something else, not neurons, and the result of that is you have brain cancer. Do you see what I'm saying? And so it is that sin works in our body. It takes something God intended and uses it for something God did not intend. I want to say it again. I want to be clear about it. It takes something God intended for good and uses it for something that is not what God intended it for. And now sin is working in your body. Sin is taking you somewhere. It is in your members. You are becoming the result of that sin. God is not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. What all of us need is the sin in our life to be put into what? Remission. It must lose its power over us. Is there anybody here hearing what I'm saying? Sin must lose its power over you. In other words, you need more than God forgive me because I sinned. You need God put me in remission. Stop the power of sin where I no longer want those things. I no longer want those things. Hear me. Never repent without asking for spiritual transformation. Never repent for a dumb deed, which you've done, without saying, God, would you help me be less dumb? I'm going to say it again because preachers, we repeat ourselves. Never repent for an action without asking God to transform your heart where you no longer misuse what he created for something else. God, help us to see through the lie that hides behind every temptation. This is like our taste for bad food. We love it, but it's killing us. We love it, but it's killing us. They can tell you it's killing you. You still love it. They can tell you you're going to be diabetic and you still love it. They can tell you you're cutting short your life. You still love it. And this is warring within you, which is one of the reasons why fasting is so powerful for spiritual things. Warring within you. I know it's not good for me. Give me that chocolate. I know it's not good for me. Give me another piece of bread. Yes, Lord. I know it's not good for me. Just give me that cholesterol-laden full food. Lord, give me that heart attack on a plate. I know it's not good for me. I know it's killing me. But I am not in control of my taste buds. My taste buds are in control of me. I'm sorry. You need to rewrite that song. I'm sorry for all the things that I have eaten. I'm sorry for the third piece of pie. Take me back to where we started. I owe my big fat body to that food. Somebody call my agent. That's all I got to say about that. So how do we recover spiritual taste? We've, through sin, come to crave the things of this world. 
Uh, how do we recover healthy spiritual tastes? How do we get back to using things as God intended them, not as we want them? Uh, real quick, musicians, you can come. Three things I want to give you that I believe are part of the spiritual process of renewal where the Lord enables you to put first things first, to put godly things first, to put God back in charge of the good and the evil department and let God be your judge, God be your king. Three things. Number one, you need to understand that victory over sin is not your victory, it's Jesus' victory. You see, if it is your victory, then every time you fail, you'll want to quit church. Every time you drop the ball again, you'll want to give up. You'll just want, you'll be so filled with shame. You will live in fear. Someone will find out about your sin. And when they do, you'll quit church. Why? You've never really accepted that victory over sin was never your accomplishment. It was always Jesus's accomplishment. Once... That's right. Once you understand 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 24, Jesus personally carried away our sins in his body on the cross so we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Dead to sin, live for what is right. Once you understand it's his, it's his victory, you are able to very simply repent for what you did and then ask for spiritual transformation. It's no longer about your shame. It's no longer about your failure. It was, even if you had done right, it still wouldn't have been about your success. It's always about Jesus. We repent as a form of acknowledging that he is our salvation. I accept that he is the only one who is good. I accept that he is the one who can forgive sins. I accept, what am I accepting? Spiritual order. It's not about me. As long as you think spiritual life is your accomplishment, as long as you think that in some manner holiness of living is your accomplishment, you are try, You are setting yourself up for a trial, and when you fail, you'll want to quit. There's a better way, and it goes like this. Lord, I, here I am again. It's me again, Lord. It's me again, Lord. Would you forgive me and change me? Would you let me see through the lie that is behind that temptation? I'm trying to make myself whole doing something that's killing me. I'm trying to make myself right doing something that was never intended to be used in that way. I am living out spiritual perversion by misusing what you intended for one thing for something else. And it always feels like all I do is break a piece of myself off and leave it there on my journey. 1 John 3, verse 9, those, or let me, let me read, sorry, 2 Corinthians 13 and 4. Although Jesus died on the cross in weakness, he now lives by the mighty power of God. We too are weak, but we live in him and have God's power. Number one, sin is conquered by Jesus. And when we overcome sin, it's not about us. It is still about Jesus. That's number one. Understand that Jesus has won the battle over sin, not you. Number two, the promise of God is a changed nature. We become new creation in Christ Jesus. First John 3, verse number 9, this is the new living. Those who have been born again into God's family will not continue in habitual sin because God's life is in them now. I am able to repent and then ask for transformation. I am able to receive forgiveness and remission of sin. 
power of sin can be lost on me because God can change the desire that is in me to live in sin. Romans chapter number eight, verse number nine. If you have the spirit of God living in you, you are controlled by your new nature. So number one, understand that power and victory over sin is the accomplishment of Jesus Christ at Calvary, not how your week went. Simply repent. Turn your heart toward Jesus and ask him to change within you a heart that is not seeing the lie behind the temptation. So the promise of God, number two, is this changed nature. I am no longer bound by the working of sin in my life. Sin has gone into remission in my life. Number three, change the way you think about sin. If you can change the way you think, you will change the way you, the things you do. But if you cannot change the way you think, you will never change the things that you do. Romans 6 verse number 10, Jesus died to defeat sin once for all. Now he lives in and for God. In the same way, you should think of yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to the power of God in Jesus Christ. Romans 6, verse number 12, New Living Translation. Do not let sin control the way you live anymore or do what your sinful nature wants to do. Don't let any part of your body become a tool of evil used for sinning. Instead, give yourself completely to God since you have been given new life. Offer your body as a tool for doing good for the glory of God. Now this isn't a jump up and down and shout kind of message, but if this can help the way you walk and the way you live, it will be worth the time we spent on this subject together. As long as you only understand forgiveness, you will repent. And that repentance will be followed by shame and guilt and law-like living. Law-like. The letter killeth. I didn't do it. I failed again. I should be ashamed of myself. And the devil loves people who only can see forgiveness. And they think to themselves, I just need to quit church. I'm such an embarrassment. I just need to give up on God. I've repented of the same thing over and over, and I'm still susceptible to it. I'm still thinking that pleasure is what I need, not purpose. I'm still thinking that pleasure is what I need, not joy. And I'm making these same sinful mistakes over and over. If all you get is forgiveness, you will repent but you won't overcome shame. But once you understand remission, you start to understand that the victory was Jesus's victory and the price paid was Jesus's work at Calvary, his redemptive work at Calvary. And now you can simply repent and then ask for spiritual transformation. There's no reason to quit going to church. There's no reason to be held in shame and fear. There's no reason for you to say, man, if anybody finds out, I'll never show my face around there anymore. You have set yourself free of the power of sin because you were never going to overcome sin anyway. Jesus took sin in his body and nailed it to the cross. Now you can simply repent. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm like a sheep that goes my own way and I think 
doing that that I did this past weekend, I think that'll make me happy. And Lord, the joke's on me. (laughs) It's not making me very happy right now. Would you remake my heart? Would you create in me a new nature? I don't want just forgiveness. I want transformation. I want to see through the lie of temptation. And if I do that, if I do that, then I can live by higher values and a higher calling. And I can have everything you intended for me to have from the beginning, designed for my personality and nature, but I can have it in a way that gives you glory and gives me a testimony. Let's all stand all across the house. I want to pray right now. I'd like you to close your eyes, focus your heart right now. First, I want to lead us all in the prayer of repentance. Then I want to lead us all in a prayer of transformation, what I'm referring to, uh, teaching about remission here today. Uh, so let's, let's do that all across the house. If you want to come down to the front, you're welcome to come down to the front. If you want to stay where you are, you're welcome to stay where you are. Let's pray together right now all across the house. Lord Jesus, we ask for your mercy to be shed abroad in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we ask for your mercy to cover us. The truth is, Lord, we all of us uh, are prone like sheep to go astray. We do things that we think uh, are worth it. We think the fun uh, is worth the risk. And uh, we do it once, and then we do it twice, and then we do it three times, and pretty soon we begin developing calluses to it. And pretty soon we find that uh, it has power over us. And even if we wanted to change now, it's more than just a choice of our mind and heart. It's now a a need for deliverance. We have to be delivered from it. And Lord Jesus, if we have any spiritual understanding, uh, we spend any time in the scripture learning, we see how these sins are taking us somewhere. and, And we are under their power and they are working out a spiritual deformation in our hearts. And we are now calloused and we are now far from you. And now the only thing that can touch us is tragedy because we've been so callous to the ordinariness of just regular life and ordinary sin and everybody does it and self-justification and now the only thing that can touch us and really reach us is some type of a tragedy in our life. And Lord Jesus, uh, then life never fails to hurt us. and We find ourselves hurt and we turn heavenward and we start to see through the lies of these petty sins in our life. We begin to see through the weakness of our justification. Uh, And we begin to desire to have a heart that is whole, a heart that is righteous, a heart that is well fit to the way you created us. It's not simply trading our souls for the price of pleasure, but we actually are seeking what you created us to be and to do. Lord Jesus, would you wash that sin that we carry away? Would you forgive us of that transgression? And Lord, would you let the power of that sin be broken? in us. We want remission of that sin. That sin is working against our spiritual life. That that sin is like a type of cancer destroying our spiritual potential. We need remission of that sin. And Lord Jesus, I am praying today that you would would allow that transformation of heart, mind, soul, and spirit to be manifest in us. Where it's not simply about the self-discipline not to sin, but we see through the lie that's in the temptation and we see through the the trade of pleasure for soul lord jesus and having an understanding 
We no longer want what this world has. It has lost its power over us. And instead, we seek a city whose builder and maker is God. We turn our hearts heavenward and we desire and long for you. We want what you want us to have and we want it in the way that is healthy for us, that does not break us into pieces. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every individual here who is aware of their sin and they feel shame and they thought about giving up because of that sin and they felt like that it is uh, in some way unbeatable and they, they, they begin to doubt whether or not you are really forgiving them and they think maybe they should just serve themselves and they think maybe they should just live by their own ethics and their own their own theology and their own path and their own philosophy lord jesus soften their hearts i pray right now oh god and let them see that there's more than forgiveness available for them there is also remission of that destructive sin in their life in jesus name we pray in jesus name we pray Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord in this house right now. Um, Our worship team is going to lead us in worship here for a little while. I'd like you to take some time and, and bask in the presence of the Lord. I'd like you to take some time and reflect upon his word. If you have a need, we want to believe with you for that need. Why don't you lift your hands and voice that need to the Lord all across the house. Our guests, our friends, we're so honored to have you worship with us today. At any time, if you need to go, you can be dismissed. We're just going to be for a little while in his presence and let him work in this house here today in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.